camera. Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing Up Fishes podcast, episode 205. This week, uh, Marty and I are going to do something a little different. Um, we, uh, I've been just ultra busy and haven't had time to book a lot of guests lately. So we're going to go over, I have a whole stack of old presentations and cool stuff to go over. Um, so I thought we'd maybe go over some of that. So today we're going to go over a, a greenhouse presentation of climate control I did originally for the Do Grows show, which was really cool. And then um, we're going to go ahead and go over a uh, my micronutrient uh, or probiotic and uh, beneficial insect uh, presentation from the Aquaponics Association. Uh, but before that, we're going to talk about our grows and stuff like that. So uh, what's up with you, Marty? Well, let's see, we just finished uh, cutting down the, the first run, so it's uh, everything is on the rack at the moment, so that's <clears throat> definitely good. Going to throw a couple of modifications on the beds and throw in a couple of different strains and start again, and that'll be fun. So I have the, the you know, the best mixes that came out of the first experiments and I'll be using um, you know, smaller variations of the better mixes going into the next run. And then we'll lower the net down a little bit. Uh, we're gonna change the way the drains come out of the bottom because the way that my uh, my bulkhead fits, it like uh, sticks up inside the bed a little bit because of how it mounts. So I'm gonna change that so it drops all the way through and drain that last little bit of water out. And yeah, I think that's about it. Just getting stuff, you know, pulling down the dry stuff and uh, getting it jarred up. So there we go. So I think we've probably already, between the bags and jars, probably, I think, just over a pound that we pulled down so far. Oh, yeah, it's been pretty good. How's uh, how's Oklahoma going? Oklahoma's going good. I got a I got a new puppy here a couple of days ago, well, maybe about a week ago now. Is that so, on the uh, name yet? Uh, yeah, his name is Draco. Which, Draco. Yeah, normally he's oh he's sound asleep over there, so we'll let him stay asleep. But if he wakes up before the end of the show, I'll grab him. Nice. And he is. He's quite awesome. So just getting him used to the farm. Uh, and then kind of just doing the last of the field prep. We kind of had a bit of a snag due to the rains. And now that we've had some some time for everything to dry out a little bit, we've uh, just been going over, trying to get all the rocks out of the field. It was originally an oak forest um, before we had it. Uh, it was an oak forest. Uh, the guy uh, before us cleared the oak forest and made it a pasture, but there was still quite a few large rocks and a few stumps and stuff. So we've had to, to clear all that out, which uh, we didn't realize quite how much junk was in there, but uh, that's pretty much almost done. And then uh, once that's done, we can go through and finish disking it and getting it all, all the way turned in. And then we can go ahead and um, uh, mound it and then uh, set our drip lines and set our plants and then once the plants are all in for about a week we'll go ahead and, and set our cover crop 
or maybe even plant it right after we plant the the, the cannabis plants, but uh, but shortly thereafter. So that'll be a lot of fun, and then uh, and then we'll be off to the races. We're actually we're closer to six acres now. We uh, uh, somebody got a little overzealous with the backhoe and the tree line, so. Yeah. So I've been doing that and then just trying to make sure we got enough clones to fill out the fields. And uh, yeah. And then we also had um, very first smoke out event uh, in Oklahoma since uh, the COVID outbreak. So uh, that was really nice to go out, frankly, just tonight, nice to go out and go to a normal cannabis event again. Um, I'm sure it's pissing a few people off by hearing me say that, but you know, as far as I'm aware, no one got sick from that. Um, uh, I know quite a few people that were there. We've been in contact with quite a few people in the cannabis industry. There's been no problem. So um, it was really cool. And, you know, who would have thought that you could rent out a bar in Oklahoma and throw a, a medical uh, patient only uh, cannabis event where you can not only uh, smoke smoke cannabis, but uh, but buy drinks as well. You know, uh, I don't know of any other state that, that allows both of those things to happen um in that type of event so that was and that was with the local police's blessing um so that was very cool uh that they actually allow those types of events so um you know very surprising um uh, but very awesome and uh so really cool to be part of that event um and uh i guess uh, uh to make sure they keep happening we'll leave the event uh, anonymous but uh, if you check out uh, my instagram you'll definitely uh, find out more um yeah, so that was really cool. Um, we have a whole bunch of concentrates coming down. We, we took all, most of our flour. It was just super loud. Uh, and then we decided to make some really high-end live resin from it. So um, yeah, it's gonna come out really, really, really well. We have a whole bunch of stuff. I'm trying to think if we have any in here. I think it's all, all in the vault right now. But um, uh, we have some really nice stuff coming down the line. I got some pictures I posted up. Uh, so that'll be really wonderful. If you're out in Oklahoma and you're a medical patient, be sure to look for that. Uh, we'll have a whole bunch of stuff that'll start hitting the shelves in the next week or two. Um, so if that's something that you guys are looking for, be sure to look for that out there. Uh, we will have both uh, White Moose and Apothecary um, uh, branded uh, concentrates on the market in Oklahoma uh, here in the next few days. So be sure to check that out. Uh, anything else going on? Where do you? Oh. Actually, something else came. I want to give a big shout out to Mr. Green Jeans with the hookup as always. Beautiful bag of beans. If you aren't sure already, be sure to check out Mr. Green Jeans Garden.com. Shoot him a contact and he will give you his current list. But he was kind enough to send us an awesome little care package. So we got Oreo Blizzard. We got Pujoa Kush. We got Blue Jack, which is Jack Carrer BSBB. Um, the BSBB is Blue Dream, Island Sweet Skunk, uh, and Pujoa Kush. We got super lemon bomb f2 we got the blue hash uh, uh one white wizard f8 uh, so that's awesome we got the pineapple jack we got the cherry jack we got the black jack we got the wayback jack we got 
what else? Koji Kush, Green Jeans Cherry Bomb, uh, and Oreo. So big shout out to Mr. Green Jeans. Uh, we will uh, definitely have a good time uh, getting a lot a lot of your amazing genetics out to the, uh, the Oklahoma market. Um, we'll do some sifting on the seeds and then we'll, we'll get some really nice phenos out here. Uh, and if you're looking for clones, uh, you, know, you can email sales at organic-ok.com and uh, you can find out more uh, information. You do have to send a copy of your license uh, in order to receive a copy. So uh, it's for licensed companies only, not for the general public. Uh, all right. Um, uh, also, a big shout out to Roger at True Aquaponics. Uh, we've had quite a big uptick in the last few months in uh, uh, people using the aquaponic nutrient subscription as well as just aquaponic customers uh, over there. So um, be sure to check out True Aquaponics. Uh, if you have a commercial aquaponics facility and you are kind of struggling with your nutrients, you can sign up for a subscription service, have your nutrients tested, and a pre dosed and pre measured package shipped straight to your door. All you got to do is rip it open on the date on the bag, pour it in your system and away you go. And you fill out a survey, it tells us about your system. Uh, we test your water and, uh, and fix all of your nutrient problems uh, in a fish safe way uh, for you for a low flat price. So be sure to check that out over at trueaquaponics.com. Alrighty, um, Marty, uh, anything else you wanted to go over in your grow? Uh, what, any other cuts? I know you're getting close to harvest soon. Uh, what are you going to be growing your next run? So I do think I'm going to grow um, a little bit more Thorsberry just so I can kind of continue that as a baseline to the next run. I'll probably grow just a couple that I, of the two that I grew this time, which is the pineapple by banana by peach frost and Thorsberry, those are the two. And then I have the snowman and I have the uh, pineapple jack or Jack Pineapple, I can't remember, it's also for Mr. Green Jeans in the Kajula or Kajola Kush or however you say it. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, those are, uh, let's see what else I have. I have Snowman, Wi-Fi, I have Sunset Sherbert. I, I don't have so those, those of you that don't know, oh no, it's not going to work. Oh, there we go. Oh, hold on, let me turn it off my background a second. So... You get these cool little, yeah. Uh, it gives you these cool breeding charts. It's the lineage, so, and he's been breeding since the 70s, so a lot of these go back. Some of these charts, yes, or some of these strains go are, are pretty insane. So, yeah. Uh, but if you want to actually... Do that, but he'll, like, he'll send you, I'm sure that that little sheet that Steve yeah. was just looking at probably has like stories or, or more information about each one of them. So like... So he crossed he crossed my blue hash with the Wayback Jack and the BSBB to get the so anyways it's fucking sweet like story about his cut of Jack has he has he told you about his supposedly it's the, the same cut of Jack that he's been keeping since like 1985 or something like yeah that. super old Jack Herrera cut. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's fucking sweet. Uh, there we go. Um, but yeah, so I'll so probably do mostly uh, the Kajola Kush and maybe the um, probably Snowman. I think are probably the next couple that I'll run indoors. But 
haven't decided yet. I've got cuts of all of them ready to go. So. Oh, that reminds me. So we crossed. Uh, we had some. We did some um, uh, pheno hunting, and we had some really nice sunset mac males. We had three just really killer males. Uh, so we crossed those with uh, cheese and with a purple Alaskan purple. So we have a, a sunset cheese that we're going to be have that we'll have here soon. Uh, we're going to start sorting. Uh, that'll be really nice. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, real curious what the offspring look like. The cheese cut is really, really nice. So I'm hoping that uh, we get quite a few nice, fat, stable, chunky uh, seedlings out of those. And then we got about a week and a half, two weeks left on, the, on those plants. Uh, and then those seeds will be ready. So that'll be fun. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, we're going to be building. Oh, you know what? We'll save that for a separate video because that'll be cool. Um, I'll try to do a video update tomorrow on the update on the greenhouse. We've changed quite a bit in the greenhouse since the last time I've shown you guys. We have quite a few plants. You guys will be surprised by the difference in growth. And uh, uh, just cleared a lot of stuff out, moved a lot of stuff into the flowering rooms and uh, just getting ready to gear up to start doing a lot of one gallons. Uh, we're gonna start vegging them for three weeks and selling ready to flips um, because there's a huge, huge demand in Oklahoma for stuff that's ready to flip. You know, a lot of people just wanna buy stuff they can throw in a room and flip it. So uh, we're gonna start doing that. So that'll be a lot, of, a lot of fun. And it's a great business model for aquaponics because you know we can print an ungodly amount of clones off of those uh, raft beds. So, you know, without having to do too much effort. Yeah. I mean, cloning. Alrighty. Um, anything else that you wanted to mention before I start up with one of the presentations? No, I don't think so. The screen share going. So I did this presentation originally for a uh, uh, member. Scotty was doing those wake and bakes. He'd call people like first thing in the morning. And anyways, it's weird. Um, yeah. They don't do those anymore. But uh, it was cool. Love Scotty. And dude, Scotty is over on Embracing Organics tonight. Shout out to Embracing Organics and Scotty uh, and Recharge. So, um, Geothermal is, a, uh, in my opinion, one of the most important things for uh, aquaponic greenhouse climate control. Just to give you a better idea of what we're talking about when we say geothermal, this is more like what we're talking about. So uh, you can see here uh, on the left-hand side, there is a tall stack of 55-gallon drums or manifold that go, pulls air from the hottest part of the greenhouse at the peak. Uh, has a little, uh, now normally when you design this in the real world, you'd have a little fan on there, usually a, a DC or UV fan. They're down to a centralized manifold. Uh, you can use 55 gallon drums, you can use 30 gallon drums, whatever you have on hand. 
um, uh, and you're gonna you're gonna put them uh, butt to butt and then cut the bottoms out except for the very bottom one. And you can kind of step here in the pictures oops, from Colorado uh, when we did this build um, here where they're stacked up. And then we just cut holes for our three inch drain lines and then screwed those in uh, and to make them fit. And then we can make a nice centralized manifold and then run them end to end in a V shape. Now we tried a grid square where it was square grid and you'll see companies like Ceres and other people out there that do that. The problem is, is that you get really wonky airflow where some of the grid gets great airflow, some of the grid gets poor airflow. You end up with mold, you end up with mildew, you end up with all kinds of horrible problems. Uh, whereas with the V shape, you end up with nice even airflow between point A and point B on both sides. So you end up with much better airflow and uh, a much better climate gradient and about three degrees difference, uh, a cooler uh, in, in the wintertime, or I'm sorry, in the summertime and in, in the wintertime, a little bit warmer. Uh, and then we also did some PEX lines underneath the deep deep part um, in order to do some geothermal on uh, with solar um, to try heat the ground up uh, and heat, the, heat it that way. That didn't really work well, so I wouldn't recommend that. But uh, uh, doing these geothermal again, making sure you have e equal lengths. All these tubes, uh, the, the connecting black three inch tubes need to be the same length. If you have a huge dif difference in length, you will have airflow problems. And this can be a great way to have uh, immense climate control uh, for, you know, a tiny little solar panel, 100 watt solar panel. Um, in the wintertime, you know, you're going to have 57 degree air to heat from, you know, and then go up from there. In the winter, you know, in the summertime, you're going to have, you know, nice cool air uh, that you can pull for free. You can also do a similar methodology with coils to cool down water in Oklahoma here. Uh, our water is getting pretty toasty. We're around 77 degrees right now, which is way warmer than I'd ever like it to be. Um, we're actually going to be looking at putting coils in here as soon as we finish the outdoor. We can use the heavy equipment to uh, dig us a nice big trench out and, uh, and put some coils in to, uh, to cool down the system and get that water cooled back down. But uh, I know Bain up at Vertica just did that. And um, uh, maybe we can get him to come on and, and talk about that project. I know he's got a bunch of cool pictures. So here's the solar water heaters that we used. Um, uh, Robbie and I tested them back when I worked at the aquaponics source. Um, you can see the coils here on the on the right below the or the solar panels on the top right um, they would heat the water and that hot water would go through a closed loop and work on a heat exchanger you can see the the metal coils there on the lower right hand side and that would go down into the tank and heat the water up and uh, keep that greenhouse nice and piping hot and then you can see in the below or left hand side we use scaffolding uh, and an old bus frame that we cut in half with a blowtorch uh, uh, along with um, the scaffolding footings in order to level up, build a, a platform that we could constantly re-level if we needed to, or we could raise by, um, you know, quite a few inches up and down. Uh, and then we had it hinged in the middle so that we could access the pumps and uh, the fish and whatever else we needed to access. Uh, and again, extremely cost-effective, great if you're in a very cold climate, Colorado, um, you know, anywhere in the, and here, chargers um, run your heat exchangers through the pool, run your pool through the bottom. You know, if I was in Canada or someplace like that, where I really needed to maximize my, my thermal mass, um, you could, you know, have your fish tanks below your grow beds uh, in order to maximize that thermal mass and uh, capture the most amount of heat for climate control inside your greenhouse. 
Um, again, you can also use a gas backup heater, a, ga a tankless gas heater can be great for um, a backup heat source uh, in order to replace in case your solar water heater isn't working nighttime or um, you know, you have a long winter storm, maybe an ice storm kind of helps prevent a lot of that solar radiation from getting in there and heating that water. Um, we managed to run a, a 50 by 30 by 18 foot green, a little, 50 by 30 by 18 foot greenhouse with about 87 pounds of propane for the whole winter. Um, and it worked extremely well. Alrighty. Um, you can also, you know, do wet walls and everything else uh, on, on cooling. Um, any other stuff you'd like to add on on that, Marty? Um, no, I haven't. I mean, I've been personally done a lot of the geothermal stuff. We built the solar water heaters um, before, which are you know, relatively easy and straightforward to do. Uh, Marty's made them, I think. Definitely recommend those. Um, I think that uh, you know, <laughs> I've I've seen your greenhouse presentation a number of times now, and I definitely want to try one out. Um, Seems like uh, you know, kind of a no-brainer if you can if you can dig down to the depth you need, which you can usually find out pretty easily, like in your area, what kind of depth you need in order to um, you know uh, achieve the temperature that you want. And sometimes that can be challenging, but other than that, I think um, you know it's kind of a no-brainer, I guess. Yeah, right there, Steve. Steve might have lost sound. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so what's up, chat? Dennis is just transplanting cuts. That's awesome. We're pretty much here. We're pretty much always transplanting cuts in the morning after all the sun coming out of the corner. And, uh, have to come out of cuts in the dual zones. Aquaponics is great for, for taking cuts, making cuts, growing cuts. Works great. I only got to have a nursery. I always see people asking me all the time, well, can I just keep my lawn from soil and just do aquaponics? Well, yeah, you can. Why you would <clears throat> grow so much faster and get so many more cuts off your mom by putting off the ponics, you don't have to water them. Hopefully, you guys can hear me. Frosty, can you hear me? Jenny? You guys there? I assume you can hear me. Very excited about our, our new strains. It's going to be super fun. I'm growing flowered out snowman yet. Oh, yeah, thanks, Justin. <clears throat> haven't flowered out snowman yet. Um, That's So I, 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 I this is not going to work. Hold on a second. Okay. Nope. Okay. <laughs> nope. 
damn it. Okay, anyways. Um, something is wrong. I cannot get my audio to work on my computer all of a sudden. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden I did the screen sharing and came back and it stopped working. Cross you said you got a bunch of golfers, rabbits and golfers he's chasing. Well golfers, we always lay down like hardware cloth underneath our outdoor beds. So a whole it's always a good way to keep them out. But uh that's that. I mean, there's a. Uh, I can't remember. There was some something they didn't like the smell of or the taste of. I can see you were talking about, uh, I mean, tomatoes, right? Nightshades. What's up? Nightshades. Okay, there we go. One mic. Okay. So. You were talking about nightshades being a deterrent for golfers? Yes. Is there any, uh, any specific ones or more frosty that's having golfer attacks? Um, we did ground cherries in San Diego, um, and that worked pretty well. Right on. Yeah. Um, just going through chat. Sorry about that, guys. I don't know what happened when the audio on the computer all of a sudden was just like, fuck you. You know, I understand. What is the deal here? Anyways, I don't think anybody else cares. Oh, I'll figure that out later. So what we'll do is I will... Screen share this. Pull up the next one. Can everyone hear me okay before I go forward? Is yeah, my yeah. audio moving? All right. Okay. I mean, it was definitely not as nice as your other mic. I can hear you okay. Okay, so hopefully everyone can see me now. All right, so this is the presentation that I was going to do at um, Aquapon Association, but there's a mix up with the schedule. I thought I was on an hour later than I was on, so um, we will do it today. So, uh, probiotics and microbes, beneficial insects, and aquaponics. Um, this is a presentation that I did for the Aquaponics Association, mainly for vegetable producers, uh, try and give them a little bit better options for what to do out there when fighting um, different pests that they, you know, common pests that people run into, as well as uh, turning people on to some more probiotic thinking uh, with, uh, with aquaponics. Hopefully everyone can see me. Looks good. Okay. All right. So pH control do's and don'ts. Um, oh, go back. Right. I need to minimize this. There we go. 
Okay, now I can see. Um, so PHL control do is known. So you want your pH between 6.6 .6 and 6.8. Um, you know, the, the best way to raise your pH is potassium silicate, calcium carbonate combination. Uh, this accounts for potassium, silica, and carbon carbonate hardness, as well as calcium uh, to help your plant. So um, this kind of covers the widest and broadest range of plant beneficial nutrients in a way that, you know, uh, so, you know, also uh, appeases your need to raise uh, pH over time. We also have potassium, uh, you know, the wrong way to do it would be something like potassium hydroxide, potassium uh, hydrochloride, uh, or potassium carbonate. Um, potassium carbonate isn't too bad, but again, you're not adding uh, as much benefit as uh, potassium silicate. Uh, and potassium hydroxide, again, hydroxide are very caustic. And, um, you know, you don't have a place in organic uh, or natural farming. Um, they also uh, are very easy to overshoot and overdose and uh, kind of tend to create more problems than they help. Also, they're only adding half as many, adding potassium, hydrogen. I don't need more hydrogen, it's water. Uh, it's hydrogen and oxygen. So um, we already have plenty of hydrogen. We don't need any more. We, have, we need silica, we need carbonate. We don't need hydrogen, it's, it's just redundant. A temperature and water vapor pressure deficit. So air temperature for aquaponics, you look between 72 and 86, generally depending on crop. Water temperature, generally between 66 and 72 for maximum oxygenation, uh, as well as um, uh, other nutrient availability. Um, I'm not really sure what that in background noise is. Something's dinging. That's not oh, that might be. Sorry, I thought I was. I was like. I don't have anything that makes that nice. Um, if you're going outside these ranges, be sure your silica is above 55 parts, or I'm sorry, be sure your silica is above 60 parts per million. Um, that really reduces both frost damage, heat damage, and increases mold resistance and reduces overall plant stress from a wide range of issues um, we've noticed. And also, you know, if you're doing vegetables, will increase your shelf stability and shelf life of your crops. Uh, and if you're not doing vegetables, um, you know, it can help increase your yields as well as just overall pest resistance. Your vapor pressure deficit is the difference between the amount of moisture in the air and the amount of moisture the, mo the, amount of moisture the air can hold when it's fully saturated. When it becomes fully saturated, the air can, will condense and precipitate on your plants. Again, uh, here's kind of a good chart. You want to kind of keep it in that golden zone. Um, and again, there's different uh, charts for different crops. And remember, this temperature is not the air temperature, which many people think it is. It's the leaf surface temperature, not the air temperature. The plants don't care what the air temperature is. The plants care what the leaf surface temperature is because that's what's gonna determine what the air temperature is coming into the actual leaf itself or fairly close to it. Um, so uh, that's what the plants are really gonna cue in on. And that's why, you know, if you're gonna maximize plant growth, especially for cannabis, you're looking at that 86 to 88 degree um, temperature range uh, to maximize plant growth speed and then you're looking at around 75 to 80 percent humidity which is much higher than most people are running their rooms so that's really how you, you can get that you know push those three inches a day growth rates and, and even higher uh, is, is you know by uh, you know locking in that high vapor pressure deficit and, and getting that dialed in and, and maintaining it which is very easy to do in aquaponics Spider mite control. So this is a spider mite, two-spotted spider mite. These guys are very common uh, in a wide range of different crops, um, cannabis, 
peppers, pretty much anything that grows in a garden. Um, great predators. I know one of the best ones is this Phytosoilus persimilis. Um, that's the, uh, or ignore the right part. Um, <laughs> uh, this is a spider mite. I took this picture uh, a couple months ago. Um, uh, Neosoilus fascialis is good. Uh, my main go-to is, is persimilis. And then if it's hot out, I go with Californicus. Uh, all the others can be used. Um, the other one go-to I would use is Struthiomimus punctinium, again, for high temperatures uh, all mainly. Um, and then lace wings also will help on them, although not entirely uh, as well. Aphids, uh, this is a picture from a, a grow I visited and consult on, consulted on uh, that had was completely overrun with aphids when, when I first got there. Um, this is uh, uh, quite a few bong aphids. Um, uh, I've had really good luck with um, using Bisveria bassania as a really good knockback. Uh, you know, if you're a, a vegetable producer, that's probably going to be your best and cheapest way to, to do it on a per application. Um, you know, if you buy the powder, you're looking at, you know, the powder, the one pound powder is about 100 gallons. Uh, so you're looking at, you know, a few, you know, one to two dollars per application, per gallon per application. So that, that's pretty cheap compared to a lot of the other stuff out there. Um, uh, lacewing larvae really go to town, you know, both brown and green lacewings uh, uh, really do great. Uh, and then your aureuses uh, do really awesome. And then aphidillus, although I, uh, colmeni, although I've noticed uh, with uh, most of the cannabis aphids, uh, aphidillus irvi, which I don't actually have on this chart, uh, aphidillus irvi seems to be the one that, that does a little bit more heavy predation on the cannabis. Um, seems to seems like I find those uh, those um, uh, leftovers uh, more than the other guys uh, under the microscope. So, and then uh, you know your your ladybugs and stuff like that you can use as well. Although I'll be frank with you, I don't think the ladybugs work all that great. Uh, rice root aphids. Um, this is a uh, really close up picture of a rice root aphid that I took. You can even see his little eyes beady little bastard eyes um, yeah and aphid c you got to remember like not even just first of all there's a lot of types but even uh, <clears throat> even individual types some species of lacewing will, will have multiple different life cycles so they'll have uh you know spring uh, spring and fall forms uh, both male and female, both larvae and adults. Um, so they, some of the species of, of aphids can look drastically different depending on what stage they're at in their life cycle. So identifying them, they, they don't just look the same all the time. So identifying them and knowing what stage they're at, like for instance, uh, winged brood aphids, um, you know, seeing uh, a full-fledged adult with with wings generally means that you know they're they're already fairly well established in wherever wherever they're at, and uh, um, so there there's always the, there's so many different types of aphids and so many different forms of aphids that you you kind of have to um, do your homework and, and at least know what some of the different main life cycles look like, uh, especially in your area. Most of the time, it comes in from outside. So but that's the thing about aphids is that, that there's just a ton of different forms. So stay, do your homework, don't slack. 
I, I, I was just listening to Zenthanol recently, and he was talking about how rice root aphids regularly um, will host on grasses, and you know many of these different cannabis associated aphids will will grow right outside your grove, just in the in the yard in the nearby forested areas. Um, and this is why they can be kind of hard to treat is you can knock them back and they can just come back in through any little tiny gap or any other, you know, method that they sneak their little ass, their little way in, you know? Yeah. You know, I started releasing outside my grove, like close to doorways, um, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, just releasing, you know, some of the larger general predators outside that will, that will survive in the area, um, I think is a great option to do just to kind of create an extra barrier around the outside of your indoor. <laughs> um, you know, it's helpful keeping them out of your general house plants. You know, a lot of people don't realize they're reinfecting their grow because they go take care of their house plants or their garden plants and then bring them back inside their grow. So um, yeah, it's just super important to, to be on it and understand that your, your pest change um, depending on you know, temperature and humidity and the, the insects that you use to hunt them should also be different. You know, matching your predators to your temperature and your humidity is probably one of the, the key things that you need to do if you want to be successful. Uh, you know, some, some of them simply won't even feed or even stick around if the temperature or humidity is too far out of whack. Um, they, they just, well, they might feed or but at a very slow rate and not reproduce at all. And then it just, you don't get nearly as much out of your investment, which can be quite a lot for some of these very specialized insects. It can be pretty expensive, but um, just releasing some green lace wings, uh, some lace wing cards outside uh, around your grow, I think you, you notice a huge difference. Yeah, so, so especially with the rice root aphids, I found that this is really an area where the, the dual root zones really excel. Um, the dual root zones give a place for your um, predatory nematodes that um, won't really attack a healthy adult rice root aphid, but if that aphid gets any kind of problems with it, um, say the introduction of Bavaria bassania or PF97, which is the uh, Isla, hold on, uh, maybe Marty can look it up well, since I got my screens up. Um, PF97 is Isla, something or other. It's, it's similar to Bavaria bassania. But basically, if you introduce these predatory fungi on a regular basis that, and, and spray them and, and weaken them, and then those nematodes can get in, uh, they can kill both the young and, and the, uh, uh, the, the weakened ones um, uh, to help knock them back. But I found kind of a combo of, of rove beetles and Bavaria bassania uh, and kind of you know, just kind of overrunning them with both of those is, is the best route with aquaponics in particular because, um, you know, the Bavaria bassania and the PF97 both um, are not uh, something that um, is, is, you know, doesn't hurt the fish at all and, uh, you know, loves that, that kind of more humid environment that these little guys tend to favor anyway. Also good for prevention too. You know, uh, if you're anywhere in the south, you should be doing uh, regular sprays uh, as a preventative for aphids because if you get them, you're gonna, you know, they can tear through your greenhouse. So we, we make sure we spray for, you know, just 
a broad, a broad range of stuff, but, uh, you know, in general, just to make sure that we, we never get any in the first place, especially with the fact that we're selling clones and stuff like that. We don't want to ever share anything uh, uh, that isn't good. So, uh, we, you know, we make sure that we do regular prevention. Alrighty, thrips. Uh, so thrips can be quite tricky. Um, uh, again, uh, uh, your lace wings, uh, predatory nematodes, your Steinernia, um, and then your uh, uh, rove beetles, as well as hypoaspis miles, uh, all are, are really great for wiping out um, thrips. Uh, again, uh, the, the rove beetles, not quite so much once they get larger, but uh, the babies do. Uh, and H miles, uh, which is now Stridiolalaps schematis, uh, is also another good option, um, again, for wiping out your thrips. Remember, they lay eggs predominantly in the soil. Uh, so they, they usually crawl down. They don't have to, but uh, they generally crawl back down into the soil to lay their eggs. So that is the easiest place to kill them, either with nematodes or with a, a predator. I've even had success just creating a physical barrier uh, over the top of the root zone um, as well, just to keep, because they love to travel. You know, again, it's another insect that has multiple forms um, or, or stages of life, I should say. Sure there's some technical term that I'm too stoned to remember at the moment, but um, they they go they move up and down the plant depending on their life cycle, um, and so it's important to kind of have, in my opinion, like an area of attack for kind of each one of them. So if you have nematodes and rove beetles in your soil, and you have uh, H miles on top of your soil, and you have green lace wings in like a persimilis or a, a scorsetii or something like that that's going to be in your canopy, then you're kind of covered, you know, all three of those areas, um, you know, pretty thoroughly in order to eliminate them. So between the, the physical barrier that covers the top of your soil um, and the, the insects that are, are roaming the different parts of them, uh, that's how you are able to, you know, kind of get rid of them. And again, the Vasania besides the Bavaria um, mixed into the soil is is always great for for most of these things. Pretty much anything root zone related <clears throat> is going to help you uh, take care of those. And like Steve was talking about, it's a great place to target them um, specifically because if you can kill off the the younger generations, then you you don't have any more eggs laid, and that really helps out a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And thrips, you know, generally aren't that big of a problem. You know, they can overrun, you know, some younger plants, but, you know, they have to get to pretty psychotic numbers. You know, they can be a little unsightly, but generally they don't really screw with the production all that much. I don't think I've ever seen them like completely kill a relatively healthy plant. I mean, yeah, <clears throat> you know, they'll definitely eat on it and, and you'll have bug damage. But I don't think I've ever seen them outright kill an entire plant. Um, so a lot of times you can you can get to them and get them controlled, and at least get the plant to harvest without a ton of loss. Definitely not like spider mites that will spread so quickly and kill off an entire plant, you know, within days. Yep. All right. So I'm going to correct myself on this one. Ignore the horsetail pictures. And just imagine that those are stinging nettle instead. Stinging. Um, what? 
I'm going to update myself. That's fine. <laughs> hey, we, we, we take in new data and we learn, right? And we share that data. Um, so silica, silica really helps with pest resistance, disease resistance, mold resistance. Uh, it's almost never talked about in aquaponics. Um, the easiest way to add it is with potassium silicate or calcium silicate or silicon dioxide. Um, calcium silicate, potassium silicate will both raise your pH. Uh, silicon dioxide will have a lesser effect on pH, but will also raise pH. Uh, ideally, you want to maintain around 60 ppm or higher for greens and 80 ppm or higher for flowering crops uh, and really increase uh, production um, in, a, in a whole wide range of ways. And then also dramatically increase uh, heat stress, both hot and cold. Anything else you want to add, Marty? Um, no, I was just reading chat actually. There were a couple of questions in here that I did not see. One, um, yeah, fire it off. Goodness says, I have a red bug pinhead size it sucks the juices out of cannabis tips. It leaves round, dead spots on the new sets of leaves. So it kind of sounds like you're talking about broad mites there, Dennis. I would say just based on your description on their color, their size, and or the results that you're describing. I'd have to see some pictures to know for sure, but um, yeah. And let's see. Uh, when you say you're not too crazy about ladybugs, is that for the, that particular pest or their predation in general? Um, I find, I think Steve said that earlier, but I, I agree with him about ladybugs and that um, they, I guess for aphids would probably be the one thing that I would say that maybe I would think about doing it. Uh, but the main issues with them is that they're, they're really fickle. They tend to fly off relatively quickly. You can do things like uh, let them down with water as you release them, like cold, cold water. Um, or you can kind of like shock them into state for a little while. But I think for the most part, you know, they tend to fly off a lot. And they can travel a little bit farther than some of the other flying insects that we use as predators. like. Um, like pirate bugs, for instance, can fly, but generally they fly relatively short distances and don't don't travel in as large of the intervals. So it can be difficult to get ladybugs to stay around. They also don't generally eat uh, eggs um, or relatively small insects. So like the broad mites that we're talking about or dentists that are pinhead sized, they're, they're probably gonna move on if that's your only um, diet for them. And, uh, and even the larger insects, they tend to only eat the adults. So it almost becomes a farming situation. They, they allow them to get larger and eat and continue to lay eggs. So they might help in a knockback situation, but they usually don't eliminate an infestation of really just about anything. Um, so that's why I'm not overly crazy about them. They are cheap, but I think for the same cost, you can get lace wings, which don't fly away, but they still uh, crawl and and cover uh, all areas of eggs, small insects, large insects, they get bigger. And uh, <clears throat> for indoor, they're much better because they don't fly up into the lights. Um, so ladybugs on indoors, they'll fly up into the lights and die and fall down and make a mess. So they're not, not the greatest indoor either. Smaller than pinhead with black spots on back 
look like mini ladybugs. That sounds like spider mites, Dennis. I would, okay, if you could take some pictures and post them in the Aquaponic Cannabis Facebook group, or on even just post them to Reddit on, on Facebook or on, on um, Aquaponic Reddit, uh, we can we can get a picture of and, and see, or email them to me at potentponics at gmail, and, uh, and we can better ID it for you, buddy. Um, the other thing I would say to add on to what Marty said about ladybugs is one, they are not remotely ethically harvested. They are vacuum cleaned off of the handful of refugee um, places they go for refuge over the winter um, with shop vacs by people that do not care about it. I've met some of them um, firsthand living in California. I'm sure Marty knows what I'm talking about as well. Um, but they just go up and start vacuum cleaning these things off and it's not sustainable. Um, all the other insects that we recommended are bred in laboratories and are sustainably produced. Ladybugs are not sustainably produced, unlike all other bugs that are sold in North America. So this is another major reason why we should not support them or buy them. The other thing is, is that unless you have just some plain old plain Jane aphids, they kind of don't do anything. Um, they suck at spider mites. They're not that great at aphids. If you have aphids, you have to overrun them. You know, you kind of have to carpet bomb the place with ladybugs to get them to actually knock them back. Um, you kind of need them to, to you know, be at such a high population. They kind of just feed on everything before they run out of food. Um, and, you know, because once the babies come around, they don't do as well. Lacewing larvae will eat like three to four times the the number of um, uh, aphids or, or spider mites per day. Uh, and it's, you know, they're much more cost effective as well. Again, you know, go back to your, uh, to your temperature and humidity settings um, in terms of what, what other pests you want to use that might be more specialized. Like if you want to use, um, like let's say you have, you're running a lower humidity, like uh, an indoor or a greenhouse in a desert type area. Uh, you know, you might want to run Californicus as opposed to a Persimilis. But if you have a high humidity environment, if you're in a controlled environment where you're purposely keeping the humidity high or better yet, you can adjust it before your release, then you can get the humidity up, you can get the temperatures in the right zone, then release all your predators and then something like a persimilis will reproduce drastically faster at above like 60 to 65% humidity than it will at even like 50 to 55% humidity. It will make a huge difference in the amount of bugs that you have to release in order to, whether you're just maintaining your, uh, your perimeter and your IPM around your, your plants or you're treating an infestation, either one. Um, you know, try to try to match the insects you use to your environment and whatever prey you're trying to target. Absolutely, too. And the other thing is, is, is max temperature. You know, we just completely switched all of our beneficial insect regimen here in Oklahoma for the summertime because 
everything here now has to survive over 100 degrees because if we get a 115, 120 degree day, even with the greenhouse at full blast climate control, we're still going to hit 95, maybe even 100 if it's brutal out that day, right? So, so we need in beneficial insects that aren't going to die at the temperature, you know, uh, or not all the pest insects will. So we switch to Californicus and to assassin bugs and to uh, Struthiolepis punctinium or Struthius uh, punctinium or wherever you pronounce that, the, the little ladybird. Um, they call them the spider mite destroyer. Um, they also attack a wide range of other things aside from spider mites, but they're they're really, uh, uh, you know, those guys, those three in particular will survive really high temperatures and uh, are, are all really good and will fly and rove beetles as well. All those guys can, you know, roam around the greenhouse and, and won't, won't, uh, won't right. grow up just because it gets toasty. And again, you know, your rove beetles are going to be great for getting into your soil areas. <clears throat> yep. So, um, you know, they're going to be, uh, you know, target different ones, I guess, is really the, the different zones in which that they will live in. So if you know what you're after or in your preventative stuff, you should still know what you're after. Like if you don't have an infestation, you should still know what bugs are going to likely show up given what is in your environment. Kind of like what Steve's slide is up here. Know your local insects. Um, the, the Your local insects are what should be on your your target list for just your generic IPM uh, regimen, like what you're defending against, um, what you need a perimeter around your, your garden for. So just because you don't have an infestation doesn't mean that you don't have a target bug. Uh, it means that your, your target bug is anything that lives outside and can possibly come inside. And some of them are just always going to, like spider mites, if you're growing cannabis, so really just about any leafy green, I guess, but cannabis specifically that you get from somewhere else, it, then, you know, spider mites is always going to be on your, your, your likely suspects list in terms of what you should be releasing for in your general IPM treatment. Oh, yeah, yeah. You should pretty much, you know, be doing some kind of generalist, like lace, pretty much my opinion, lace wings, if, unless it's really hot um, all the time, they're cheap, they kill a whole wide range of stuff and their price per, per release is, is so cheap, it, it's, it's, it's very, very smart. Uh, and then, you know, some kind of predatory mite, you know, if you want a more generalist, maybe a Swarovski eye or uh, something like that. If you want something more specialized and uh, specifically for spider mites, maybe go with the, the um, uh, Prostimulus uh, or, uh, you know, the spider mite destroyers, although they're more expensive. Um, we're mainly using those because of the temperature. Again, um, trying to think, uh, I lost my train of thought there. Yeah, so I think that it's just a matter of, of selecting all those things. And then, uh, you know, one of the things that we didn't really talk about and maybe it's in a different slide, but um, banker plants are another great option that I'm working on getting set up in my grow too. Um, I've got the seeds to, to get those going. And that'll be one of the things that I work on after I get all the cannabis in place. It's hopefully I'll have all the spacing set right now. <clears throat> um, so that I'll be able to keep my banker plants in there and just replace the, the cannabis plants between runs.
So we'll see how that goes. Um, but essentially, I want plants that are will be there that will provide pollen. I am considering getting some of the, they have some pollen feed. Um, they call it like a, um, it's from Ardico. It's like power bug food or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, Dennis, the links are in the description down below. Yeah, there's so so um, any of your ornamental peppers are, are good for that purple flash peppers, uh, any of those like, um, you know, tiny little, you know, nuclear hot peppers, the kind you'd have kind of on your desk for Christmas time, maybe, you know, the red, red and yellow ones that look like little Christmas trees. Those are great because they continuously produce pollen any anything that particularly pepper pepper family that, that continuously produces pollen is really good for feeding aureus and, and other, um, you know, rove beetles and other other uh, insects that will fall back to feeding on pollen as a protein source when when insect meat is not available. Um, other good options, you know, uh, out here, we're, we're going to be doing five acres or actually almost six acres now uh, with the pond there. We're thinking really hard about getting a bunch of runner ducks, maybe getting 30 to 50 runner ducks uh, for grasshopper, slug and other general insect prevention. They won't affect the plants at all. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a nice big pond and a beaver in there and everything else. So uh, we're thinking about moving that direction. Uh, I know um, Josh Dutch Blooms uh, has had a lot of good luck with that. I know the first year he grew out there, he lost quite a few of his starts to uh, the slugs. So uh, he, the second year he switched to those ducks. And I know last year he had a lot more success uh, than the previous year. So um, definitely something else to think about if you're looking for something, you know, economical and ecologically uh, uh, minded that uh, can also produce a little extra side money in the way of eggs and meat you know, occasionally. Alrighty, um, so know your local insects. Uh, you can see this, um, I believe it's a type of robber fly, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, or a horse fly, I'm not really sure, but um, you can see here, this is a, looks like a normal fly, that is a three and a half inch grasshopper that it captured and is chewing the back of the head of. Uh, so if you see these guys, they're, they're kind of, it's, it's unnerving when they're flying around you and they can bite you, but generally they are some of the best grasshopper predators I've ever seen. Um, and the outdoors last year in, in Oklahoma, they were, I mean, we'd see them all the time and they were just some of the best garden allies we had. Another great garden ally we had last year was this giant wheel bug. Uh, these wheel bugs also get, you know, three to four inches. They have a very, very painful venomous bite, uh, but they are, again, one of the best defenses against grasshoppers, butterflies, um, uh, crickets, any other large predatory insect, um, uh, moths, caterpillars, anything like that, anything larger. Um, they, they really do a kick-ass job at, at a clearing out, and um, I think you know, probably 70% of the time when I found one, I had something in its mouth, uh, including some other larger spiders. I know not everyone out there likes spiders. Uh, if you want to keep your spider population low, keep your assassin bugs in your garden. They will do a good job of picking them off. Uh, someone asked what we're putting on the farm. We're putting THC in the farm. Um, this will be the largest THC grow I've done. That's for sure. Uh, will be six acres plus another 4,000 square feet of indoor flowering plus another 10,000 square feet of greenhouse um, and then 2,000 square feet of mom room and about 1,200 square feet of clone room. 
currently, and we'll be expanding on that later. So, a lot of fun. I do love, I do love mantis. Um, they're just they're they're so difficult to try to treat anything with because they take so long to hatch. Um, that you know, you <laughs> by the time you know, there are some places where you they say that you can you can get an egg close to hatching, but even those I've had take quite a while to hatch still. You know, they're supposed to hatch within two weeks of arriving and instead that you know it still took, you know, probably a solid five for them to actually hatch. <coughs> Some of them hatch sooner. Definitely not the kind of consistency that you would need. Most of the time if you have an infestation that you want to treat, you don't want to, you know, put something out and wait <laughs> uh, you know, six weeks, five to six weeks before it even starts treating anything. So um, they're great for flying stuff. Kids love them. Um, they they are great for most flying predators or even you know smaller caterpillars. That's one thing you can time them for, especially outdoors, is if you um, you want to time them for your trying to help deal with your caterpillar population when it's still small, then you can um, you know work with your uh, local farmers or your local county uh, to, to identify, you know, what time of year you're going to want them out, and then you know, release some to, to cover that that time period. So I do think that that mantis are are effective predators. They just are difficult to use for any kind of treatment, um, other than the you know maybe the one example I just gave. But there are tons of fun. The kids love to go check on them and see if they've hatched yet. And, <clears throat> they're they're great for catching flying insects. Um, they seem to do do a great job on on those specifically, but uh, and eat a wide range of stuff kind of in the same way. They, uh, anytime you see a wheel bug, it always has something that's not that kind of feel the same way about mantis. Like they're almost anytime you see them, they're either hunting something or eating something or taking something down. I see we got the puppy made it. What'd you say, Draco? Is that his name, right? You muted, Steve. I don't know if everyone else can see him. Can they see the little that part? I think when you talk. I don't think they. I don't think they can see him. But it's okay. Yeah, we'll get him. We'll get him on later. Um, but yeah, mantises are great. The problem with mantises is. Mantises only do about an eight to 10 foot square area or like circular area around the egg and then that's it. And about half of them eat the other half. Uh, of, and so you're better off, you know, trying to spread them out. If you see the egg hatching, you know, try to sprinkle them around the garden. They'll, you'll end up with more of them. Yeah, if you can um, hatch them inside of a, of a paper bag that's closed up, but you got to check out them all the time and make sure that you they don't spend too long in the bag or they'll just eat all of each other. But if you can hatch them inside of a bag, then you can kind of uh, spread them out and, uh, and they won't just eat each other as, as much. And the, that's another thing that the kids like to do too is when they, <clears throat> when they do hatch, I just have my son loves to go out with a couple of sticks and he just he has them crawl on there and you'll go spread them around wherever. <clears throat> and it's pretty easy to do. And it, <clears throat> It can really help your coverage, but otherwise, 
yeah, they're pretty much going to stay in that, you know, six by six area. And that's, you know, releasing insects is a great thing you can do with your kids in your garden. You know, they can go around and, you know, hang the little bugs or sprinkle the bugs around the garden. You know, if you're looking for, for something that you can include your kids in your, in, you know, maybe not necessarily your cannabis grow, but certainly in your regular garden, depending on what state you're on and what, what the laws allow you to participate in with your family and what you choose to. But, uh, um, you know, they can be great opportunities for, for kids to learn about the food chain and learn about, you know, how, how everything can work organically without necessarily having to be, you know, oh, we spray it with this, you know what I mean? For sure. Uh, but again, no, learn, learning what your predator, another great example of learning what your local insects are would be the thrips. So here we have a little bumblebee thrip that seems to pick off, uh, seems to always go after little flower thrips. I only find them on the flower thrip plants. And every time I do, they seem to be feeding on one and they look like little bumblebees. Um, but, you know, I have, if I see them, uh, there's no reason for me to try and treat them if they seem to be almost exclusively feeding on our, on the other ones when I do see them. So, the, you know, there's no reason to worry about those. Uh, same thing with six spotted thrips or, you know, if I had thrips and spider mites, well, thrips will feed on spider mites. So treat the spider mites, then treat the thrips. Um, you know, if that was the instance that you were in, because you'll end up spending less money. So, and get rid of them, getting rid of them faster. So definitely, uh, you know, things to think about when you're treating them. Remember, 35% of all thrip species actually feed on other insects, not plants. So something else to to consider. Alrighty. So white flies, white flies are one of the biggest vectors of uh, plant viruses. Uh, I know there's at least 180 viruses that have been linked directly to white fly being a vector. Uh, we see uh, a beet leaf top virus or what is it, beet leaf curl virus, tomato leaf curl virus, most of your mosaic viruses uh, despite how much people want to claim that they're uh, variegation, it's not variegation in most pictures that I see online. Um, it's some one of the 14 species of mosaic virus. Um, uh, one of the best uh, options uh, is the Incarcia formosa. They work very well. We release them here regularly once a month uh, to keep the uh, uh, white fly at bay. They're pretty cheap. Uh, and it doesn't take a whole lot to ensure that they're there. You also have Incursia aneron, Incursia pernocchioso, depending on the species of white, the exact species of white fly. Uh, and then Delafastius calinia, uh, uh, which is the little ladybird, uh, the white fly ladybird, which you can see down there in the bottom left, a cute little guy uh, with the black shiny uh, body there. Um, he is uh, a great, again, for, for feeding on the white flies. But again, the biggest issue with white flies is the fact that they vector so many viruses and their waste produces black soot, which you can see on the picture on the right there on, a, uh, I believe it was a cucumber leaf. Um, you can see the, the sooty mold there on, on some of their waste. Uh, anaerobic or aerobic uh, microbes and compost teas. So you can see the Vortex Brewers, and you have a GOT brewer. You can see a, just kind of a ghetto 55-gallon drum brewer. 
Um, most of our brew times we're doing for compost teas uh, for aquaponics are 24 to 48 hours. Most of them are 24 to 36 hours. And what we're doing is maximizing the microbial loads um, and with the fish waste. So we'll take a little bit of fish waste, uh, some recharge, some of the beneficial microbes, uh, maybe some, some IMO2 or IMO3 or liquid IMO, depending on what we're doing, or maybe even IMO4 uh, if you're into Korean natural farming. And toss it in a, uh, a paint strainer uh, and brew away. Um, make sure you have you know air stones. But again, um, anytime you're adding minerals, you should be adding microbes. You want to have you need that combo team. You know you, your nurse needs a syringe to inject the nutrients and inject um, you know the the medicine into your body. So if you don't have you know the syringe, your nurse can't work, right? So the microbes kind of function as the syringe uh, for for your your nutrients. Uh, so make sure you have that uh, there. And then again, adding a little bit of carbon, you know, uh, brown sugar or, or white sugar seems to be much better for compost tea brewing and aquaponics. If you're doing more for soil long-term, you know, like making compost or, or making a soil batch, then, you know, molasses might be a better option, but strictly for, for tea, you know, rapid tea brewing, you want to go with sugar in the raw or, or brown sugar. All right, trichoderma. Trichoderma is a good probiotic uh, microbe for Pythium, Septoria, Fusarium, Botrytis, Molt, and other molds. Just remember, if you use too much trichoderma, it can over-dominate your other microbes. Uh, so kind of think of it as like a nuclear bomb to wipe out your, your uh, you know, bad issues, but you're going to have to come back in and re-inoculate with your good microbes in order to uh, you know, ensure that you have a good balanced population because if you have too much trichoderma, it'll end up causing you, you know, some negative problems. But if you have pythium or root rot or some other major issue, uh, you can use it to kind of wipe it out temporarily and, and kind of regain control of the battle so that you can win the war. Bactillus subtilis. This is one of our favorites. Um, you can get it in photosynthesis plus, uh, root probiotics microbes. Uh, we love a product uh, called um, Cease, which is a, a foliar spray. It works incredibly well. Uh, we alternate that with another product called Sonata, which is Bactillus pomilis, which is another one. Um, but again, for Pythium, Root Rot, um, Septoria, Fusarium, Botrytis, Molds, uh, general prevention for, 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 uh, for molds. Bactillus pomilis, again, you know, Sonata, uh, Supreme, um, you know, a whole wide range of different stuff. How big deals from those? Streptomyces, again, uh, the downside of streptomyces is it is patented by Monsanto. I'm sorry, Syngenta. I'm sorry, uh, you know, anyways, assholes. Um, uh, again, very popular, uh, halfway decent, in my opinion, at least with cannabis, kind of sucks, um, generally, but, uh, uh, it is good as a general preventative for most other crops. It just doesn't work particularly good for PM on cannabis, at least in my opinion. If you're looking to learn more about uh, beneficial microbes for your aquaponics system, uh, definitely check out Green Natural Farming. Uh, Master Cho's uh, Natural Farming is a great book. Uh, Chris Trump is another great resource. Uh, and, you know, you can use IMOs one through four. I wouldn't do IMO five in your aquaponics system, but IMOs one through four will be okay. Um, a lactobacillus uh, and a liquid IMO would be kind of the, the other rec highly recommended version to, to add into your aquaponics system on a regular basis. A labs is another really good one. 
Uh, we add labs to our system, particularly now that we're running very hot, we're adding labs once a week uh, in order to prevent any root rot or pythium until we can get that water cooled down. So kind of a cheap solution to, to make sure we don't have any issues until we can, we can address it in a, in a proper way. Uh, a water-soluble calcium works very well in aquaponics without much of an issue. Same thing with water calcium uh, phosphorus ex extract as well as uh, water-soluble uh, potassium as well. Some of the more advanced stuff I've been working with is the biodynamic accumulators. Uh, there's a link to the website if you want to uh, get the data for yourself uh, to both Duke University's and Build a Soils link. Um, uh, you can check it out as a really good tables for your nutrients uh, for trying to figure out what to ferment uh, and uh, for inputs I've been doing a lot of hey does this actually work in the real world work on this around this chart uh, specifically for aquaponics I will be publishing a lot of this data here in the next year or so uh, probably the next two years by the time I get through all of it uh, or at least the stuff that I'm concerned with uh, that I think might be viable um, <laughs> There's a lot of compounds in a lot of these plants that when you ferment them happen to also kill fish, uh, which is why there has to be some research done with this. So um, it's not as simple as going, hey, this is going to definitely work. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, I'm just trying to give you a toolbox. Um, you know, in no way am I going to claim that everything on this list is going to not kill your fish in any way. So don't, you know, go using it and then claim I told you to kill your fish, right? But if you want something to tinker with and something to play with and direction to look at um, and kind of a way to hybridize a lot of the, the dragonfly earth medicine and Dempure and, and natural farming methodology with aquaponics and, and, you know, the kind of control that we're used to with mineral salts. I think kind of this is the direction to kind of hybridize those two worlds in a way that, that makes everyone happy and, and still meets the plant's needs as well. So definitely something to look out for in the future. Uh, labs. Now there's a bunch of different ways that we can do labs, right? So we can go to the local grocery store. Uh, we can get that. You can see the whole health premium supplement, super lactobacillus. Um, that's your probiotic. You can get it at any pharmacy. Uh, you go to the pharmacy counter and tell them you want to buy the probiotic. It has 12 to 14 different types of lactobacillus. All of them will keep make different types of vitamin B. You're getting the, the wide range of vitamin B as a growth accelerator, as well as all the lactic acid and all the other wonderful compounds it makes. So, um, you know, these are great compounds. You, you know, the more you, you combine, uh, kefir is another great one, again, for, for kind of cheating and speeding up the process. If I'm a commercial grower, I don't have time to do it with the rice water and wait a week and blah, blah, blah. It just takes too long. Plus, if I'm in a commercial setting, if I'm doing something in a food safe kind of thing, the food safety inspector is not going to buy that, right? Like, just not going to fly. But if I can get some some food safe kefir or kefir and um, and do it that way, okay, well, that's something that actually I can work with in a food safety way and mass produce on a quick turnaround in a commercial setting and, and, and two or three days start making large batches instead of a week or two or whatever, you know, two weeks like it can take sometimes with the traditional method. Just Again, it takes too long. I don't have time. I'm running a commercial farm. I don't have time. And nobody got time for that. So we use labs, we use kefir, we use probiotic labs to achieve the exact same function as that, um, except in a much more accelerated rate with a broader diversity of vitamin B complex, which gives you a much better growth acceleration rate across the board than with traditional natural farming methodology around lactobacillus. So something I really think that the natural farming world needs to kind of move in the right direction on is, hey, 
it's a cool idea with the labs. Let's take that to the, you know, let, let's take that and extrapolate that farther down the line into, you know, kefir and, you know, uh, lactobacillus microbes have a long and storied history uh, with humanity. And, and, you know, there's, there's thousands of different ones that we use on a regular basis for milk and yogurt and cheese and butter and all these different things that we that we haven't even touched in terms of plant benefits. So, um, you know, there's a lot of space that needs to be explored. Someone asked, are you required to tell your local government where your genetics are sourced from? We are not, that as far as I'm aware. They were doing that in the beginning uh, where you had so long, but uh, as far as I'm aware now, there there's no real restrictions on that. Um, I could be wrong, but um, yeah, again, uh, I'm not 100% sure. I don't believe there is, though. Um, but yeah, so if you're in the city, you know, you can go get those probiotics. You can buy EM1, you can get kefir, uh, you can get yogurt. Uh, all these are places that you can source lactobacillus for, for your labs in a way that might be a little bit more reasonable or easy for you to source if you're in a far-flung place. IMO. So IMO, again, I would highly recommend checking out either my video or Chris Trump's on IMO uh, on, on how to make and collect uh, indigenous microorganisms. Um, basically, you cook rice, put it in a box, collect saprophytic fungi, uh, and then uh, cut it 50% with uh, sugar, and then, uh, and then use that to um, uh, inoculate your micro, microbial complex from your local forest microbes. This allows you to collect your, your local microbes that help your plants grow that are adapted to your local climate. Oops, sorry. Uh, they're adapted to your local climate. They can help fend off a wide range of diseases uh, and really is one of the best in, uh, inoculations that you can use for your aquaponics system. It's something that's, that's very ne uh, pretty much never talked about in aquaponics. Um, I've been working on some aquatic IMO collections as well, you know, a way to kind of collect stuff from other stream or river or, or local body of water that would be you know, mostly uh, uh, beneficial. And a lot of that information will be in the book that's coming out to hopefully later this year, beginning of next year, whenever I finally have the damn time to finish it. Aquatic indigenous microorganisms. So uh, you can uh, do a collection. Uh, again, we like to use the strainer bags and we're using both either rice uh, we've also tried bran um, uh, or as well as infused sponges. So we've taken sea sponges and tried infusing them with sugar or molasses. Uh, again, still experimenting with some stuff like that, but you know, it kind of gives you some directions to poke at if you're looking for ways to, to try and seed your microbes in a way that might be more, more inhabitable, especially if you're doing trout or uh, other very cold water species, uh, collecting nitrifying bacteria and other mineralizing bacteria that are act, you know, hyperactive at those cold temperatures and adapted to those cold temperatures, such as high altitude streams in Colorado or, or other places like that, that you can collect those types of microbes will really benefit your systems. Off the shelf probiotic microbes, you got recharge. Um, you know, you can uh, check them out. Uh, uh, they're really great guys. Um, uh, you got mammoth pea, uh, recharges, uh, sorry, mam right, recharges a wide range of beneficial microbes. You can pour it right into the system. Great for putting in your NBBRs uh, or anything else to really maximize the use of it. Uh, mammoth pea is one of the best products I've seen for increasing phosphorus. It almost uh, doubles the available phosphorus in an aquaponic system. 
so uh, you know, super, super great product. One of the best products I've seen microbially for aquaponics that's come out uh, in the market and, and the whole time I've been researching it. Uh, Modern Microbes is another great one, a really good wide range of uh, microbes that uh, can benefit your, your system. And then uh, Photosynthesis Plus, again, another range, a wide range of beneficial microbes that you can use to seed your system in the beginning or help maintain the microbial levels over time. Things to avoid, yucca extract and saponin, they will kill your fish within minutes. UV sterilizers, contrary to popular belief, they dramatically negatively impact iron, boron, and manganese. Um, uh, ozonators will hyperoxidize your iron. Uh, you've got really goofy people out there like in some Facebook groups that recommend um, magnesium oxide and other things. Well, what's gonna happen to your iron when you add an oxide? you're going to destroy it. So again, you got people that are not really using their brains. Uh, too much trichoderma, again, um, can wipe out your microbes. Mixing too many microbes in one batch, again, they can start to compete or kill each other. You wanna kinda add them over time and, and allow them to populate and colonize the system and find their place in the food chain. Uh, too much of a pH change when adjusting for mineralization can wipe out your microbes if I have a super low pH and I you know, quickly bump it up to dump it into the system, I can instantly kill all my microbes and basically negate all the hard work I did. Hydroxides, again, quickly killing your system uh, by overshooting it and not actually adding two nutrients instead of one. Your hydroxides add one nutrient, uh, everything else adds two or three nutrients depending on what you're using. And not providing enough food for your microbes being dosed, again, not enough sugars, not enough other secondary um, uh, mineralization uh, uh, sources or, or inputs, I guess, for lack of a better uh, broad term, uh, uh, for your microbes to, to be able to fully utilize your, you know, the most of your, your fish waste. Some great resources, Elaine Ingham out there is a soil food web. Uh, you got Chris Trump at Natural Farming Co. Uh, he has a great classes. Um, uh, I believe his next one's coming up in August in Idaho. I believe it's August, August or September. Um, you got Microbe Organics, uh, great, great reference place. If you're looking to learn more about microbes, it's been there for a very long time. Um, uh, great place. He has a really cool reference tables as, as well. You can buy his reference videos on microbes if you want to learn what, what's what. OMAX microscopes are great. I have a, a really big OMAX microscope, but it's wonderful for or uh, when we have to really look at those water microbes. We have Dynalite. Oh, where's the Dynalite? Here, this Dynalite I got here on the desk is used at least once a day, if not twice a day. So whenever I need a better look at something, we, uh, we go ahead and throw it under here and I can get a really good look and make sure it's not X, Y, and Z or confirm that it is X, Y, and Z or you know whatever it is I'm trying to look at better. Um, but it really allows you a, a much better view of what's going on. Uh, Arbico Organics, again, great source for buying stuff, uh, microbe-wise, or beneficial insect-wise. Green Methods, another great beneficial insect place. BioBest, again, another beneficial insect place. And BiologicCo.com, again, beneficial insect place uh, as well. The other thing I wanted to add on here that I don't have on the deck is Agdea. Agdea.com is a great place if you're trying to get test strips for viroids and trying to find out what virus we got. 
Alrighty, um, ignore the uh, the course there. Marty and I are working on the video format, but um, you can find out more on our podcast, Growing with Fishes. You may or may not be listening to that right now. Um, uh, the Facebook group, a lot of people don't know, we have an aquaponic cannabis growers Facebook group with a wide range of people from around the world, uh, many of them commercial growers, uh, and then the uh, the book that will be coming out later in the year, uh, or next year, so yeah, anyways, uh, that was the presentation of the association, so yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. The pepper one. Oh, here. Hey, don't chew on that. I'm trying to use that for medication. Here's a little pepper. That's pretty sweet. Do the, the rotating puppy. All right, let's see what chat has to say. It's been a while since I've been able to read chat. All right. Uh, probiotics is great. Uh, looks like Oklahoma is doing things right compared to legal Canada where we are a dumpster fire. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. So uh, any other questions in chat? We kind of went through a bunch of content there. I'm not really sure what happened to Marty. I guess he had to step away for a moment. Uh, any other questions that you guys have? In chat, we tried to cover you know, some stuff that I kind of had. You know, the, we tried to I have a guest that we're trying to get on that had to reschedule or wasn't able to, to get on today. We were kind of hoping I, I haven't had time to schedule people as much as I'd wanted to. So yeah. Any advice for killing field mice and chuchong chewing on killing my stocks? Yeah. Um, you can come to the farm here. We got a whole bunch of farm cats. We'll, we'll give you like 20 or 30 of them and you can spread them out. We've actually been talking about putting our, starting to feed the barn cats out by our mixing tanks in the field for that for that reason is to prevent anything like that from happening um, we actually just had that discussion two days ago specifically on putting a feed station out by our mixed tanks oh that's a great question someone asked what lab dose would you use for aquaponics so for labs for aquaponics for those of you that aren't aware this will be in the book that i'm releasing but it's not really out there in the I really should do a video series on KMF aquaponics, but maybe I'll do that once I finish everything else I'm trying to get done right now. Um, uh, so with aqua, with labs, you want to do about a one gallon to one thousand gallons um, on your your dose for maintenance in your aquaponic system, and then if you're doing it to treat a disease, you can do as high as a one to five hundred. I would not do higher than a one to 500 because sometimes it starts to affect uh, your, um, some of your either mineralization processes. Uh, but uh, you, know, you can absolutely use it, you know, if you wanna do a flush of a one to 250 or one to 300 on an NFT system to quick treat epithium or something like that, that would be fine. But you know, a one to 500 probably would work just the same. Um, I don't know if that helps you out at all. But generally on a maintenance dose of one to 1,000. So for, for I'll, I'll tell you here, we, we actually stretch that a little bit. So for here, we're doing around eight gallon, eight to 12 gallons, depending on temperature uh, a week and in 18,000 gallons. So we're, we're doing slightly below that just because of, of cost. Well, I mean, not cost, just ease of getting that much milk on a regular basis, to be frank with you. And if we had access to cows or a dairy farm nearby, we'd, we'd do it up. 
All right. Well, I'm not sure what happened to Marty, but we've had quite the exciting episode. Um, I think we will wrap up the show. Um, I want a big shout out to uh, Can't Find It on Facebook. Oh, uh, if you can't find the Facebook group, um, it, it's for whatever reason, Facebook like censors cannabis stuff. So go to facebook.com backslash groups backslash APCANA. That's A-P-C-A-N-N-A. So facebook.com slash groups slash APCANA. And that will get you to the Facebook group if you're having a hard time finding it through the search function that will get, connect you directly. Um, again, we have an awesome file section there. We have uh, testing, uh, nutrient testing, Excel, um, Excel sheet I put up on there. There's a uh, the dynamic accumulators uh, table is on there. A uh, bunch of useful books are on there. A whole bunch of cool stuff. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, be sure to check it out over there. And uh, yeah, um, thanks a lot, everyone else, for watching. Um, we'll be back again uh, Tuesday or Thursday. Uh, I apologize for not having a show on Tuesday. We uh, just got really busy getting the backyard planted, but. Um, we're going to be a little bit busy this next week or two, and then we'll be back to a normal schedule. We'll try to get some cool guests on again. Uh, I know we, it was a blast having Kevin on, so uh, and then uh, hanging out with Chris last week. So we'll be sure to have some more of that. Uh, big shout out to True Aquaponics, again, for their aquaponic minerals and the, working together with them on the subscription service. We should check out at You can find me on... Uh, on YouTube and um, Spotify and all the different places that you can listen to podcasts. Uh, thanks a lot for Marty on the uh, uh, information that he was providing. You can find out him on AP Meds. And um, yeah, we'll be back again soon. Um, be sure to check out uh, your local Oklahoma dispensary uh, for stuff from Organic Innovations, uh, the latest talk upon a cannabis products we will have a hot new line of uh, resins i believe we have nine or ten live resins they're going to hit the market next week or the week after depending on on when it clears testing i believe the testing came back today or if not it's supposed to come back tomorrow uh, and then we can uh, start getting those out so um thanks a lot everyone and uh we will catch you guys again soon